Welcome to another episode of Dangerously Dainty, where we talk with underestimated people who make bold moves. Hello everyone, you're listening to the 13th episode of Dangerously Dainty. Every episode, I welcome a very special guest, but today is even more special because I'm bringing in my dad today to talk about his journey involving his coming from Puerto Rico to Boston. If you're feeling inspired to seek independence, to be an entrepreneur and establish a life maybe different than what your family has carved out for you, then this is going to be a great episode for you to listen to. Let's get into introducing our guest, Abel Matos. He is originally from Rio Grande, Puerto Rico, and at the age of 18, he moved to Boston in 1972, around uh, the early 70s, after being one of the only children in his family to graduate from high school. After working, working for the carpet union for many years in the 1990s, he opened his own floor installment business in Dorchester where he had already settled with his wife, Maria, and daughter, Yadira, who is in episode five um, in the 1970s. After hard work and dedication, he then expanded his investment and dreams to own property and land after having me, his second daughter, in 1998, and eventually ended up moving to the suburbs of Massachusetts in 2010. And now he's finally close to retirement and close to relaxing and enjoying all the fruits of his labor. So welcome, Abel. Thank you, Ariana. It's a pleasure to be interviewed by you, my uh, youngest daughter. Thank you. So every episode I start with an icebreaker question. Mm -hmm. And today I'm going to ask, what was your favorite part about growing up in Puerto Rico? Ah, my favorite part, I mean, it's been many years back, but growing up in a farm, uh, having my own little animals, being out in the open like a free bird, I feel now that it was nothing like that quality of life that I can remember growing up. Did you feel like you appreciated it when you were younger, or do you feel like you appreciate it more now? Well, when I was younger, because that was the type of life I had, maybe I didn't appreciate it that much because I didn't know what I had. Plus, I was just a, a, a kid, a, a, a young person. Uh, well, I would say, I didn't appreciate it much as I do now when I go back to where I grew up from and see the freedom that you have when you go there, meaning the quality of life that I grew up, mm -hmm. that that doesn't compare to anything yeah. now and even though at that time. Yeah, because uh, we tried to get my mom to do this but she didn't feel entirely comfortable but her growing up in a different area of Puerto Rico is very different than yours in terms of she was more not necessarily in a city but a smaller town where you grew up mm -hmm. with more space and land and 
um, abuelo, my grandfather, he he worked in the sugarcane fields, right? And that's what you knew growing up. Well, I just didn't just know that. I know the hard work where my father, Ramon Matos, worked at, like, the sacrifice he made for all of us, the nine siblings, going into the city or the, to get up early in the morning, like, at maybe three, four in the morning, and then go for a long walk before he can get into the sugar cane. And after that, the sacrifice that he made, that's what probably made him made another move and uh, purchase a piece of land, which was a, a big farm, and decide to work on that farm. And that's all I can remember on that. Between that and my father, sacrificing like we're all as a, as a parents, that's what we, I guess we do. But to share that the goal of this episode is to show the power of dedication, like Abuelo and you and so many other people that I know of have. Um, the, the power of discernment and patience and goodwill and how to maximize your dreams or what you think um, you know success is and make them into a reality. Um, so I wanted to hear about like your origin, your birth story. So you mentioned you have nine siblings when growing up and now mm. the family has expanded. Mm. Um, could you share what it was like growing up in Puerto Rico in the 60s and 70s? Uh, in the 60s or 70s, it was on an easy life, as everybody went through in other part of, part of the world. Uh, but as I say, and I repeat myself, uh, it was a bunch of families, all the neighbors, and the quality of life that I can remember, it was excellent. Me fighting with my oldest uh, brothers and sister and obey them after, in the end of the day, we, everybody will get together, we will play games, we will be like a regular child life. But to me, that I can remember, it was a, the best quality of life my father could have gave us at that time. Even though growing up in that farm, you had to participate on all the activities. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a hard work, you had to do learn I, I can remember on age of eight or nine after school in the daylight you will go and work a couple of hours to help my father you know like planting the seeds for whether it was the beans tomatoes other kind of uh, vegetables that he used to plant so we can have food on the table another another uh, fruits that we used to plant so we can Provide for food, but overall, I can remember my brothers and sister, and we all help each other. We all had to do what we had to do because uh, that was the way of survival at that time that I can remember. But I can describe overall that I think it was a it was a beautiful life yeah. that you can learn from. I show you that you, even from a young age, you had to learn your responsibility and how to share responsibilities with somebody else. And that's what I saw with my family, my closest family, my neighbors, mm-hmm. and the other kids that grew up with us. We used to be just like a big family. And I guess that's what made things 
a lot nicer at that time. The other day I was talking to Jorge about how, and Haley, how Latinos tend to be very communal. It's community-based, not not so much like individual. And, mm-hmm. and that's, it sounds like that's what your childhood was like. You all had to take care of each other and help each other out in the farms. Um, you mentioned that there were certain responsibilities that you had to have. Um, but I remember Abuelo would say that you flourished more in school, that mm. you were like a very good student, and that's what he kind of wanted you to do. Is that true? Ah, my father, my father, God bless him. Hopefully, he's been in heaven. My father was the type of father that he will discipl- discipline all of us at the same time. Uh, with his voice and the way he conduct himself, the way he show himself to let us know the sacrifice he made and was making for all of us. So while I was going to uh, remember middle school, uh, I didn't like the farm too much. I used to go in the shade, uh, me especially in the summer times when work was some was so hard and work was tough. And he always looked at me and he said, I don't think you're going to be a farmer no time soon, so you better stick to school, and I think you're going to be doing good. And uh, he always reminded me through the years, even graduating from high school, when he told me, well, now you graduated from high school, you are my freshman that graduated from high school, hopefully you do something good with that and something no better than what I'm doing, but something that you'll be comfortable doing. I took his happened. advice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, remember when we used to go down there to see him, even on, on his age, he always remember you, Yadira, my wife, Maria. You know, that I was always sort of an independent kind of a person, meaning that I like to do something like better of my life. And uh, he knows, and he was pretty proud at the end that uh, I become the man I be, uh, I am today. Yeah, I think he was. He would always talk about, mm. um, you know, about how it sounded like you were different than the rest, mm. and how he was proud of of you and all of us what we were doing up up here. Um, so that brings me to the next question. Mm. You went to Boston the summer before your senior year of high school, right? Yes, I came here in 1969 for the summer work. Mm-hmm. I went to, I just wanted to get a feeling because my older sister was living up here. Actually, but I don't call it Boston, let's be realistic, was yeah. Rosberry. Yeah. And there was a lot of Hispanic people, you know, people started coming in at that time. And I remember her telling me, you're going to get a job, but in the end of July and August, you're going to get out of here. you got to go back to Puerto Rico and finish your high school. Because after August, you're not going to be here, so don't make no plans. And uh, God bless her too, which is, was my older sister, and she also put a grip on me. Once in a while, she put me on place on hold, mm-hmm. and I never forget that from him because she also 
was pushing me to not just get in here and get a job and make money, get back to Puerto Rico, you have a little money on your hand, you can buy your own things, and you're starting to get an independent, but you need to finish that high school. Yeah. And I went up going back to Puerto Rico, finishing, well, I think I came two summers. Mm -hmm. Then I came in the summer of 1970. And that's when I work and I stay here uh, an, an additional month. I was here for three months. And then I went back to Puerto Rico, finished my high school. Mm -hmm. And my father was pretty proud of that. My, all my brothers and sisters were pretty proud of it because I had conquests, sort of a one notch in my life to get me ready to go to another level or to another step. Yeah, it was a different I, door that that opened for you? Yes, it was. Yeah. At that time, graduating from high school, it was getting like uh, almost a bachelor degree. Yeah. So then you decided to leave and stay here permanently. Um, did you have goals or like a dream like, oh, I'm in, in Massachusetts and Roxbury in Boston, I'm going to... Um, make my own business and do you know get from point a mm -hmm. to point b or did you just act and do whatever you could you can put it that way but when i graduated from high school i told my father what i was gonna do and he said you are 18 year old adult you have to learn how to make the decision and whatever you do you be honest about whatever you do and you got my flesh, and that was 1971, and I came to my sister's house again in Raspberry, but I already had a, I had a plan. I wasn't gonna just stay on, on that stage, on that level. I wanna improve myself and get myself better. And uh, I worked hard for the next, for I would say nine to 10 months, and then again, my sister say you you're not you should go out there and try feel different things on life because that's not gonna be for you. So I m made a decision of going to school mm -hmm. and uh, to learn to improve my language, English. Because your first job, when you said the nine or ten months, what was it? It was oh, I was working in a laundry room. Mm -hmm. uh, in a laundry that was a. Uh, Commercial laundry, which is it's a huge building, and I started working out ironing shirts, pants, and I was getting so good that within three months, the owners, they used to be there, and they every day they looked at me, the way I work, the way I perform, and you know, they, I was pretty active, pretty aggressive on my work. <laughs> and uh, I guess they got something, they saw something on me, and all of a sudden they want me to learn all the trade. Mm -hmm. So I learned from ironing, I went into the lines, I went to uh, to the commercial area, which it was like from three o'clock, I would work another shift until okay. maybe nine or 10 o'clock. And I learned how to, Merged the uh, solvents that they used to put in a closing, commercial, how to deal with the big machines. And they were pretty proud of me. And uh, they say uh, that I was pretty hardworking and they want to improve myself. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, but then again, when I when I told them that I was gonna leave, they they sort of bent over, but they say I'm pretty proud of you. But we have plans for you. If you would stay here, you would be a super advisor. You will run in everything because they were kind of in the age that they want to retire, but they want somebody to look at it. So I say, no, I gotta go to school. So. But you don't regret. I didn't regret it because uh, another thing they say, if it, if it doesn't work out, you can always come work for us. But mm-hmm. that was only my plans when I yeah. when I went through that door. That was said. I know how to go to school and do something better. Okay, so then you took uh, ESL, like English classes, and that's where you met mommy. Yes, well, um, that was uh, one of the part that I. They're still with me today, your mother. <laughs> I met her at school, and we sort of a click because we are sort of in the same, we grew up pretty much in the same ideas, same respect for person, no matter what kind of a person it was. I, I saw something nice on her, and I don't know what she saw on me, but <laughs> we're still together up to today, and then we had the two, you know, you and Yadira. What makes the what what a home is all about, and then from there I I stayed there for three months, and because I improved my language I, in Puerto Rico, while I was going to high school, you had to take mandatory two English classes, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. Okay. So I needed was something to refine and kick it back to me. But then again, the only thing I, I didn't could lose was my accent. That's the reason I still have my accent, and I'm not giving it away oh, either. That's okay. <laughs> so anyway, from there they uh, they f- fished me out. The at that time was a telephone company, oh. and I went for a training. I passed, and then they say you had to wait. You had to wait sort of a it's a waiting period. You had to wait at least thirty days. But I wasn't going to wait three days. At that time, they called me from Boston Area Construction. Okay. And that's, I went through them. So when they called me, it was too late. I had a, I already signed for, I think it was six months to a year with them. And that's where I put my foot into the construction business because it was like a trading. Gotcha. So yeah. you learned all the different trades. It wasn't just like floor installment, but maybe electrical. Prior to that. No, prior to that, they will give us uh, a class for a little better educators to the construction trades. Okay. But you had to select one trade at that time. So, and that's what I selected to become a floor layer. And then when you went to Boston Construction and then started working for the union a little bit a, later, when I finished the uh, training, the uh, city of Boston, the state, was monitoring that, those classes and they wanted to see what, what they done to me and where I went. So one of the officials from the city came by and said if I wanted to go into the flooring business, that it was a lot of work and uh, they would put me into the union and be making good wages. And then that's where the things start forming. I say, well, let's give it a try. And uh, they connect me with all different kinds of people and uh, put me in the right place, I guess. <laughs> Were you ever intimidated to uh, like working among like all these different kinds of people or moving 
from Puerto Rico where everyone looks and sounds like you coming to Boston and then working in the union and the majority of people during those times were, were white I think that's you, you mentioned Irish immigrants and yeah, you Italian can say immigrants. you can say that most of the people were all white people from different ethnics different backgrounds from Ireland from uh, Italy or from uh, even uh, even from uh, from the Middle Eastern company but when I uh, when I went to work for the company uh, and I got into the union when I went to the union hall I was probably the only you know, I was the fly in a gallon of milk. <laughs> How was that? Did you did you feel like underestimated, or did you not think about it? I don't think about it because when I was growing up, it was not different whether you are white or or you are black or you are brown or whatever. It was just about the person. We never learned and we never knew. That's how we grew up, and that's how in Puerto Rico, ninety nine percent at that time of the, it was, everybody was the same. It was equal. You don't judge the people, you don't judge anybody because we're all in the same level. So, you know, it's all always criticism because that's what a human being knows, but we respect. Yeah. I didn't feel intimate, no. I, uh, I mean, it was comments, but I didn't care. To me, it, did, it didn't bother me at all because it didn't affect me. Maybe they're the one they affect them themselves. But at the same talking, they already want to brought me in and help me, and you know, I, I use my own intelligence. I use reverse psychology. You know, you criticize me, I don't say anything. I just smile, and I'm here to learn. I'm here like you are. You know, try to better off your life financially a lot. You know. Yeah. And from there, did you feel like you got a sense of, oh, I could do this on my own and establish my own business? down the line. Is that how the, sh the store started? Well, it was, uh, that was 1974, <laughs> and uh, between 1974 and 1998, 99, I worked for a company, a union shop, 17 years. Mm -hmm. So going through that, when you're in a union, you have to go to school. You had to learn how to uh, do adjustments, uh, do proposals, and you had to know how to learn uh, how to read the drawings. It's a lot of stuff that goes with it that people don't understand. Yeah. And uh, I learned all those technical stuff, and uh, I did four years in that school. I used to go m uh, Mondays from 6 to 8, and Saturday from 7 to 12 o'clock for four years. And this was added on to the, uh, the physical While work I was working, yeah. Mm -hmm. And if I, uh, then if I, if I go to work that Saturday, then they will give me credit because I was working. Mm -hmm. It was the last going to school. But they went you in school because they had to, you had to learn all the, you know. Gotcha. So you had to, uh, you had to learn all, all the academic stuff. And then I was doing that to do the same company until I got my good pay rates. And after four years, I graduated. But prior to that, I have a long history with the company. Right. And I was uh, 
like in the second year, I was running jobs. I was doing a lot of big stuff in Boston because they were one of the biggest company in the whole New England. So we used to do the biggest work, travel throughout the whole country and stuff like that. So I learned a lot. And then on that, I, you know, I, I ran into some obstacle, but I don't call it obstacles because people don't, didn't like to see, all the people at that time, they didn't like to see a, a skinny kid with a big afro telling them what to do. Mm. So, uh, but they respected though. And I had good mentors, which is appreciate for them, white people. And, you know, uh, everybody, even my boss, when I left, he, he, uh, he said, if you ever need a job, you come back to your job. But uh, yes, that's what informed me. But in the meantime, for me to create enough knowledge to open my own shop, mm-hmm. it didn't come overnight. It came over practical and uh, all the academic I put into it and 17 years of experience. Yeah. Yeah, and then... That's when I decide to explore. Like I tell you all the time, I tell your sister, if you if you know something good behind that wall, what do you do? You get a, a big hammer and break it right through and make it through because you know you're gonna do better than the other. Yeah. So. Two things from what I'm hearing is that you, for you, something that kind of fueled you and gave you like the power and the energy. Mm-hmm was to not let other people's opinions or comments affect you, but you use that as gas and fuel to keep going. And then the second is, doesn't like success doesn't immediately happen. It takes time. It takes like the nurturing Mm -hmm. of your, of your craft. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people don't, you know, surface level when people say I want to be an entrepreneur I want to be a business owner they think oh I'm, I'm, I'm gonna control my time I mm-hmm. can say what times I work and what times I don't and it sounds very easy but it's not it takes more hard work and dedication especially in the first few years when you're establishing a business maybe it'll become more relaxed later later down the line but in the beginning it's it's just as hard, maybe even harder, than working for someone else. Is that true? Well, I had already enough knowledge. Before that knowledge, I had a plan. Mm-hmm. I know what I had on mind, and I was pretty aggressive on make it all the way up to home play. But to you to go to home play, first of all, you had to learn how to bat it. Yeah. Then you had to know how to run. And then you have to hit that ball really hard and so you can get from home all the way back to home. So I already had my plans. I had my knowledge. And then I had my dream and how to execute that dream. Mm-hmm. And how to put it in perspective, put it to work. And I know that it wasn't easy, but you have to be persistent. I learned one thing on life since I was a kid. You have to be persistent. If you are not persistent, and uh, then you cannot have a plan because a plan comes with persistence. And for you to execute a plan, you have to be persistent. And then, but all that comes in a cloud, they're not just persistent. You have to uh, learn how to execute and be uh, 
have enough knowledge that it's not just getting the thing on ground, put a platform, put a foundation, and try to build it up. Uh, sometimes it's easy to do that to than to hold it on top. That's the reason sometimes people get successful, they go crazy, blah, blah, blah. They get it up to the top and they don't be persistent. They don't, they, you have to be focused about it. And all of a sudden things start crumbling. Why? Maybe the foundation was good, but the middle of it wasn't. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it, uh, and that's how, uh, that's the way I look at things. Yeah, be you prepared. Have have the same dedication <laughs> from beginning to end. Yeah. And when you get up there, so it's just almost like when you run 200 meters, what do you do? You can't just go running like a crazy. You have to analyze and prepare yourself, you know, because you know between when that gun shoots up to the 200 feet, you have to have enough power and enough knowledge, enough practice to get you into the end. Yeah. So. Did you ever tell people about your plans or did you keep your your plans and, and your strategy personal? Uh, well, I'm the type of person that doesn't sing too much. Mm-hmm. In Puerto Rico used to be a nice little bird called papagayo. Mm-hmm. Papagayo means it's always singing everything. Yeah. So I was pretty reserved on myself. I never told anybody, like, the only person I told them, like, I have my plans. But I never say when I'm going to do it, when I'm going to execute that. So like six months prior to that, then I know what I was going to do, but I never told anybody. Yeah. So uh, 1988, when I, uh, 98, the middle of 98, when I decided to go, a month prior to that, I told my boss, I told everybody, and I, and I, and I opened up a space. And nobody believed that, that I left the shop. How can you leave a shop that when you, your revenues are excellent, you know? You just don't leave that to start over. But you know what? Sometimes that's the risk you have to take. Life, if you don't take a chance, risk, what are you going to do, you know? So, uh, so you were born and up to the end when you go, it's all about risk, you know? So anyway, I took my risk and then... I went in, I did all my footwork, at that time things collapsed, slowed, uh, everything slowed down, and uh, I took advantage of that to button up everything I wanted to do, register the business, opened up the space, and registered with the state, the city, I did all my footwork, mm-hmm. the drawings, my f- blueprints, yeah, I, I started to work, and uh, I mean it wasn't easy for the first two years. And I had to go work with the with the, another guy that I had up to 1991. 91, everything went back again, and rest of history. Cause you so you opened in 1989, mm-hmm. and then when did you? Cause that was originally in Blue Hills and like Mount yeah. and then you moved to Dorchester, to, the office. Yeah, I was there for nine months. I, the area wasn't the best, but I people still would. You know, uh, uh, what do you call, uh, supported me. Yeah. So I survived. I had enough to pay my rent, to, you know, to get 
to eat or whatever, but I already have my savings too. That's another thing. Financially, you have to be strong for at least two years, three years. So I, uh, I was there and then I, uh, knowing some people, they brought me in 1989 okay. and I've been there since today. So I've been there like 32 years maybe. And uh, you know, it was, business was pretty successful between the, the years of 95 I took off. In 2003, I had over 28 guys working for me, employees. Me, I was going like a maniac because I had to control all that crowd, being in there long hours from like 5 in the morning to 7 at night in the evening. But it, it paid off. I mean, I'm not complaining, and you can see it's around you. Yeah. The, from the little stretch that I came into, to the white road, and always watching my pennies. Yeah. So I always say a dollar without a penny is not a dollar, and you always have to plant your seeds and wait the right moment to make decisions. So, and all, all that came in from my father, the little seed. Don't eat all the whole tomato. If you eat the whole tomato, you, you will be in trouble. Put some seeds back in the ground. Right. Don't need it at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you, like obviously did you, you had your outline, your blueprint, but I'm sure you learned a lot of new things in creating a business. What did you learn and, and did you have people mentoring you just like you did in the union? Well, when I was there, I didn't have a mentor and I didn't have a, a supervisor. I almost was the same person. I mean, I had, CFO. I had all the, the enough knowledge that my boss showed, you know, I learned through my, the 17 years I worked for them, mm -hmm. and I always would appreciate from them. Yeah. I had beautiful mentors that taught me, they know what I was all about, and the same way was with my boss. Do you feel like you, once then the shop got going good, and like financially you were getting... The, the fruits of your labor, do you feel like you you reached the goal of success that you had? What does success mean to you? Well, for coming out 1971 from Puerto Rico with probably six fifty or $60 on my pocket and going through all these processes almost 49 to 50 years later, I think I conquered my goals, and um, even though I don't tell anybody, you should know how reserved I am, even for you guys, I'm pretty proud. I think I conquered a lot, and accomplished a lot, and I have a, financially, I'm a healthy, in a healthy side, we have a good life, healthy life, and uh, I think I, my dream came true. And uh, it came through, but it's going to continue. Mm -hmm. It's not just going to stay, yeah. you know. And, uh, and that's it on that part. <laughs> Would you give any advice to any um, young Latino or any just young person? To anybody out there, you have to have a plan. You have to have a dream. 
And then overall, you have to prepare yourself, educate yourself, no matter what it is. You educate yourself, you absorb a sponge, a big sponge, and try to grab whatever you can. Learn it. And never be afraid to go out there and uh, put it on perspective on your own. You know what? Because when you have a trade, you have a profession, it's always going to be a demand for it. You cannot always come back. That's the worst of it. And uh, anybody that have a dream or, or have ideas about opening up a, a business, business are beautiful. I mean, it comes a lot of stress with it, a lot of headache. But you know what? If you're going to fish, if you're going to go in, into the ocean thinking that it's all small fish, you're wrong. You have to learn how to swim with everything, the big fish, the, the, the shark, anything that comes, even with the whale sometimes. Yeah. And uh, it's not easy, but you have to be persistent. And uh, the best part about our be good with people, be kind with people. It doesn't cost much. They don't charge you for that. And people will be your own, to uh, call in Puerto Rico, worth of mouth is the best. Now you guys call it in English, what? Word of mouth, marketing, and all ER. this. Yeah. So, but you know, before that's how it was. You do a good job for people, it doesn't matter who you did it for. They still come back. I still have clients. I still have people with a little baton coming to the shop. I remember when you did my kitchen 20 years ago. That's the best marketing you can do. First of all, people like to start with the positive stuff. I'm going to start with the negative stuff. Is I mean, all my sacrifice and everything. Uh, not because I didn't start early, because it was better for me to create my experience before starting it. I'm not going to say start right away. You have to learn the prospect or everything else. Uh, it's a little... The only negative stuff I say maybe because I didn't have time, too much time to spend with my family because I was, uh, what do you say, my refines that I learned was that you are the provider, no matter what. Yeah. I, I mean, and then what happened is when all the fruits come in and everybody knows, wow, now I know why he was on home, why he was on at the dinner table and stuff like that. But... At the same time, the positive stuff I see is the life, what you see around, my sacrifice. You yeah. know? Uh, where, where, the way I came into this country and the way I prepared myself and the way, the kind of uh, healthy life I live now financially. You know? Thank you for for sharing your, your story and I think a lot of the times we butt heads mm -hmm. because it sounds like 
I feel like we share more in common than we think sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that we were able to record this conversation and that way we have something to look back on and listen to. And I hope that it's helpful for other people, um, friends and family and people that we don't know to hear the story and the reality of things and how, you know, they can become independent. They can realize their dreams. It just takes time and dedication. And most importantly, not to let other people's um, opinions of you and what you're doing affect you. Um, so thank you. Thank yeah, you. you're very welcome. And as you say, hopefully people will uh, listen to this conversation and learn the sacrifice it takes on life and what it takes to become successful and what it takes to have a good family, which is the backbone of everything else, and meet it, and meet the right person like my wife is, that tolerate me all this year. But now, then again, that's what we go through to make things better. Yeah. And I hope whoever is listening to this, that they reflect, they look in the mirror and I say, I'm that person. And if, and if you can be that person, start working on it. That's all it takes to be a better person. <laughs> Thank you, Ariana. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, and keeping unexpectedly bold. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Dangerously Dainty. Make sure to turn on your notifications for new episodes. Please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. I would love to see and hear your support on the journey of self-discovery. You can also follow the Dangerously Dainty Instagram at dangerously.dainty for updates on upcoming episodes and Thriving Thursday posts for motivation. Thanks for listening and keeping unexpectedly bold.